turn to the book of Acts chapter 27. We have this week's message and one more message uh, from Acts 28, and we will be finished with this wonderful book. I was talking to Randy, our senior pastor, the other day, and uh, this coming January will have been two years that we um, have preached through the book of Acts, and uh, obviously you probably could get about five years out of it if you really wanted to, but we know it's time to, to move on, and we look forward to that and, and looking forward to sharing some things with you guys, especially about our vision for 2020 coming up here in the next few weeks as we um, talk to you about Reach One, um, each one, reach one, teach one, and, and what that means and what that looks like, and we're going to continue to emphasize that throughout the year next year, uh, just really trying to help our people understand that God wants to change the world one person at a time, and he wants to use you to do that. And when we think about it in that respect, guys, it's really not overwhelming. It's really simple, and I believe that's one of the keys that, that will get us to the next um, season of growth, uh, and, and not just about growing the church, Christ church, but about growing the kingdom of God in these, in these days, in these last days that I believe that we are living in, and the sense of urgency in my, in my mind is, is very real. And so we're excited about that. We're excited about uh, January 2020. I'll go ahead and let you guys know here at the Bartlett campus, we're going to take a deep dive into Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11, and uh, just really go back to creation try to answer some tough questions. We're going to look at all these different wonderful uh, deep passages, foundational passages to our faith as we think about what Genesis 1 through 11 really represents to the church and how unfortunately the church has compromised in so many ways on that, uh, on those very beginning chapters of Genesis. A lot of people say that it's all symbolism. Some people say that it's allegory. Some people say it's not real history. We're going to try to answer some of those questions and, and help you understand why it is important that we have a firm healthy grasp of Genesis 1 through 11, that, those foundational uh, chapters in our Bible. And so I'm really looking forward to that and, and beginning to work on that as well. And so lots to, to, to think about, lots to look forward to. Um, and so as we wrap up the book of Acts, today's passage and today's message, I think is going to be very practical, very needed for many of us in the room today. Um, it has been said, and you've probably heard it before, that we are either in the middle of a storm, we're either coming out of a storm, or we're what? Or we're probably headed into to a storm. And I know that may sound gloomy and bleak and, and pessimistic, but if you've lived any number of years, you recognize that those, those seasons of peace, you appreciate them, you embrace them, you thank God for them, because you never know when another storm will arise in your life. And so uh, God has something to teach us through the storm, in the middle of the storm. And, and so we're going to look at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to see that they are in a literal storm, okay? And, and again, I think most pastors, you know, you could preach this in many different ways. Some pastors, you know, there's a lot of different uh, dynamics and details going on, but I'm going to take the, the literal storm of Paul and and uh, his, his disciples as they're sailing for Rome, and I'm going to try to take that and apply that in a, in a symbolic or a practical way for you and me this morning because all of us, as I've said before, we're either right now, you're, you came in here today, you're in the middle of a storm. Like you can't even keep your head above water. 
Or maybe you just came out of that and, and you saw how God worked and how he provided and how you've become so much of a, a better person and, and you've drawn so much closer to the Lord because of the, the circumstances around you kind of pushed you toward him. Or, or maybe you're in a very good place. You're in a very, uh, very stable place, a very, uh, a very good place of peace right now. And, and you have to be able to recognize that there's a possibility and a potential that you could find yourself in the middle of a storm tomorrow without any warning whatsoever. And so we're going to look at this passage from that perspective. Now, I'm fascinated with storms, okay? So uh, I think we're coming up, I know this time of year, and then, of course, in the springtime, we, we have, you know, the tornado seasons. And, and so whenever the bad weather comes through and, and, you know, News Channel 3 breaks into your days of our lives, morning uh, soap opera, and, you know, and you're, and you're looking at the, the weather and you see the line of showers coming through. And, and it's like, you know, find cover now because, you know, these are severe storms. There's been tornadoes spotted. Okay, so this is what happens in my house. My wife, she takes a mattress and gets the kids and they're in a closet somewhere. Right? I just the first mention of tornado, thunderstorm, they're gone, right? I'm outside in the yard. You know, I want to see this thing. I'm looking for it because I'm fascinated with these storms, Right? Now, I'm not so fascinated that I'm like one of these storm chasers that those people get out, and I think they take it a little bit too far, right? When it gets dangerous, or if I think there is some danger, I'm going to go inside. I'm going to get myself safe and, and, and protected. But I'm fascinated with storms. I just think some, they're some of the most beautiful. They can be some of the most amazing displays of God's glory. And, and that's just the way that I am. And some people are terrified of storms, very, very Fearful, like, and you think about just some of the examples of storms in the Bible. I think about when the Israelites came to the base of Mount Sinai. It says that when God manifested himself in his glory on the top of the mountain, it said he came with lightnings and he came with thunderings. And it was so intense, the whole camp was being shaken. Look, they got to the point where they said, Moses, you go talk to God, but please don't let him talk to us anymore because we're afraid we're going to what? We're just going to die. We can't bear the presence and the power of God. And sometimes our storms in life or these literal storms that happen are a reminder of just how powerful God is. When lightning strikes nearby you, it just, it's going to get your attention. When thunder claps right nearby you or shakes your whole house, you understand, man, there's something powerful out there that's beyond my control. And I think that's what we're trying to get to here when we look at the storms of life. It's, a, it's an interesting story. If you study the life of Martin Luther, the reformer, the German reformer, he was a lawyer. He had gone to law school. He was getting ready to practice law. And his father, they came from a pretty well-to-do family. They had high aspirations and expectations for him. And he was walking from home to his law uh, college one day, and he, caught, he got caught in the middle of an intense thunderstorm. And it said that lightning struck right next to him, knocked him off of his feet. He laid there on the ground, and it was at that moment he said, okay, Lord, I give up. I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll be a monk. And so he basically left his pursuits of being an attorney. He went and entered into the ministry, and he became a Catholic monk. And that was where he began this whole process of, of his call to ministry. Of course, later we know Martin Luther, uh, he became uh, a, a dynamic um, reformer and nailed the 99 Thesis to the, the church there in Germany and kind of was one of the ones who kicked off this radical reformation of the church that was definitely needed at that time. But God used a thunderstorm to get this man's attention and to get him to where he wanted him to be. And so storms can be attention getters. God can use them to 
kind of shake us to our core, kind of bring us down to a place to where we don't have anywhere else to go, we don't have anyone else to turn to. And I want you to see this morning, whether you're in a storm, you've come out of one, or maybe you're going into one, I want you to see that God is the anchor of our soul. And, and that's really the, 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 the basic theme of this message today. God is the anchor of our soul. And so what I want to do now is I want to jump into Acts chapter 27. And again, this is a very, very long passage. And so I'm going to read bits and pieces of it. But to set the context, I want you to see there in Acts 27 verse 1 what's happening. And so, again, look at what it says. Luke is writing, and the reason that we know Luke is with Paul on this journey is because he's using the first person plural pronoun, we. And some, several times throughout the book of Acts, sometimes Luke says they or he or him, and sometimes he says we. And so we know when Luke is writing using this third person plural personal pronoun, he, he is with Paul on this journey. And look, this is what it says in verse 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 1. He says, when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they're going to Rome, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship to Adramedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put into sea. And so look at what it says in verse 4. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So that's kind of your first uh, indication that something is brewing here. Okay? So it says the winds were against us. And so they finally get to uh, Cilicia, and it says there, the centurion, I'm in verse 6 now, he found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy, and he put us on board. Look at what it says in verse 7. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty. Okay, so you can see how Luke is starting to kind of under uh, portray what's happening. They, they, they have some difficulty. The winds were against them. Uh, and it says, the wind did not allow us to go any further, so we sailed under the lee of Crete off of Salmon. And verse 8, coasting along with difficulty, again, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which was near the city of Lycia. Now I'm going to go ahead and read verses 9, 10, 11. Look at what it says. It says, since much time had passed... And the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only for the cargo and the ship, but also for our lives. And look at what it says. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot, he's the captain of the ship, and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Okay, so you can see here, the first thing I want to share with you this morning is very, very simple, very practical. Sometimes we bring storms upon ourselves. This is a reality that it probably everybody in this room on some level or another can go back and think back to our lives and the decisions that we've made and the choices that we've made and the people that we've chosen to associate ourselves with or whatever it may be. And we can all pinpoint a time or many, maybe several different times where we brought consequences, storms, difficulties upon our lives because of something that we chose to do. Sometimes we do this deliberately and sometimes we do this with, not deliberately. But nonetheless, it's these consequences that will often find, uh, make us in the, uh, get us into the middle of a storm. Now, this is for unbelievers and believers alike. I mean, it says God causes it to rain on both the just and the what? 
unjust, okay? So this doesn't necessarily mean this is, this is for a believer or an unbeliever. There are more application we'll get into here in a minute about what it means for a believer as opposed to what it may mean for somebody who is outside of a relationship with the Lord. And he uses storms for both people. But in this situation, we understand just from a basic practical perspective, sometimes we're bringing storms upon our life. One of the greatest Old Testament characters that I think gives us this illustration is the prophet Jonah. I think it's very interesting, of course, I almost went in this direction to, to kind of compare and contrast Paul's ship voyage with Jonah's ship voyage because there's some interesting things going on here. I think there's no mistake that these things are to be paralleled in some different ways because think about Jonah. Jonah was called as an apostle, as a prophet to the Gentiles. Remember? You're reading the book of Jonah. He is an Israelite. He's faithful. He loves God. He loves his, his homeland. And God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to these wicked, pagan, Gentile, the Assyrians. Go to the city of Nineveh, and I want you to preach a message to them so that they may repent and be saved. And Jonah was like, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to go tell them, those wicked people who basically hate us and they're going to come to destroy us and they have been oppressing us. He said, yeah, I'm going to go tell them to be saved. And so Jonah says, see you, Lord, I'm going in the opposite what? Opposite direction. And it was in that rebellion, it was in that disobedience to God where Jonah brought a storm upon himself, right? Because they're in the ship, they're sailing along, and all of a sudden the crew realizes, hey, there's something supernatural going on, and they knew that something was wrong because they must have come upon a terrible storm that was not a regular situation. And so they're trying to figure out whose fault is it, whose fault has gotten us into this situation. And finally, Jonah at least has enough um, honesty and integrity to come to the crew and to come to the captain of the ship and says, listen, the reason that we're about to die in this storm is because of me. So what does he say? Just throw me overboard. I mean, it's almost like, I can't commit suicide. I can't kill myself, but you can go ahead and just off me, right? Just go ahead and you throw me overboard, and I'll just go ahead and die in the sea, and you'll be, at least you'll be saved. And, of course, we know the rest of the story and how God had to humble Jonah. He basically had this experience of almost being dead in the belly of a fish and then how he was, quote-unquote, resurrected from the dead. And he did go preach the gospel. He preached the message of repentance to the people of Nineveh. And he still did it reluctantly. That's what's so amazing. After all of that, he still had a sense of reluctance in his heart. But nonetheless, Jonah is a perfect example of how we, through our decisions, can often bring consequences and bring storms of life upon ourselves. Now listen, and also upon the people who are around us. And I think that that's what you see here in the case of the book of Acts in chapter 27. Now Paul, again, he was also an apostle called to the Gentiles. Don't, don't miss that. And the difference is, is that Paul embraced his calling to the Gentiles. Paul embraced it, and he said, okay, Lord, who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And, and the Lord Jesus uh, humbled Paul, brought him to a place of full submission, and Paul said, whatever you're willing to send me, wherever you're willing to send me, I'll go. Whatever you're willing to call me to do, I'll do. That was Paul's attitude. So he had a little bit of a better attitude than Jonah did. But it's interesting because the Lord told Paul, he said, listen, I'm calling you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And he said, but guess what, Paul? I'm going to show you how much you're going to have to what? You got to suffer. And so here we have Paul, again, in another situation. It seems like everywhere that Paul went, he finds himself in trouble. So, I mean, I think at this point, you know, Paul's just got to be, okay, you know, this, I'm, I'm used to this by now, you know? 
And so I just want to share with you, just to remind you what Paul endured to be an apostle to the Gentiles, to be obedient. Listen to what it says, 2 Corinthians 11. I'm just going to read a few things from Paul's testimony. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 24, listen to what he said. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and in danger, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then he says, and apart from all these things, I had the daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. And so we know Paul experienced intense and immense suffering because of his obedience to the Lord. Now, who ultimately was responsible for this particular storm? Now, remember, Paul had a little bit of a hand to play in it because he appealed to Caesar. Now, just this kind of this is a secondary um, consequence. So it's not that Paul necessarily is responsible for them being in this particular storm, but he said, "Listen, I want to stand before Caesar." And so they said, "Okay, to Caesar you will go." So that's why they're going to Rome. But did you pick up on what the Scripture said? Paul tried to give them a warning. He said, hey, hey, guys, listen, the Lord is telling me that if we take this trip, if we get on this ship, it's going to be a total what? Total loss. Nobody's going to survive. But then look at what it says. It says that the captain and the owner of the ship, they were telling the centurion a different message. Now, you just have to step back for a minute and say, why do you think they were more intent on taking this voyage and not willing to listen to the Apostle Paul. I think it comes down to, they, they were like, hey, this is a very lucrative business opportunity. I know it's getting close to the fall of the year. Yeah, the Mediterranean Sea has some unexpected storms this time of year, but you know what? We're going to take our chances because we're going to get a big payday if we can get this thing taken care of. Remember, they're, they're, they're partnering with the Roman Empire. They're partnering with the soldiers of Rome. So they probably have a very lucrative business deal going on here. And so they ultimately were the ones responsible for putting Paul and his friends and all the people on the ship in danger in this situation. They brought this storm upon themselves. And listen, they ignore warning after warning after warning. You see that, right? I mean, the winds are against them, and they're sailing with great difficulty. And it just keeps, and then it became dangerous, and they're still stubborn, they're still prideful. I mean, it's almost like uh, Wiley Coyote. You know, and many times as Wiley Coyote knows that he's, he's never going to catch the roadrunner, he ignores every single sign, he's still going to chase after that bird, and it always ends in what? In disaster. And that's what happens sometimes in our life is that we can ignore warning sign after warning sign and we're stubborn and prideful and intent to do it our own way and we ignore all these things that God is trying to put in our path to say, wait a minute, you might want to rethink this. This may not be such a good idea. And we're like, no, I've got this. I think I know what's best. And we end up bringing ourselves into a situation that puts us in the middle of a terrible storm. But sometimes we end up in the middle of a storm because of the bad choices of other people. Again, that's exactly what, what Paul is saying here. He perceived, he's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's saying, listen, we're not going to survive. They didn't take his advice. They did it their own way. They were still unwilling to listen to Paul. And so Paul, he was a prisoner, remember? 
Did Paul really have a choice? He did not have a choice. He was a prisoner. He couldn't make his own decisions at this point, and so he was at the mercy of the men that were going to make the choice for him, and so he had to go on the ship with them, and so because of the bad decision of this pilot and the commander and the owner and the centurion, he says they were all in a situation where they were dragged into a storm that they were not prepared to go into because of their foolish and sinful choices. There is nothing that we can do about people who bring us into the storms of life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been thrust into a storm, a terrible situation, because of something that somebody else has done or is doing to you in your life? Happens all the time, doesn't it? My heart breaks for children who grow up in a home where there's abuse and neglect and dysfunction. And and do those kids have a choice? They're just there. They're just in this terrible situation, and it's like they're, they don't even feel safe in their own home, and it's not even their own fault. They're just right there in the midst of a terrible storm. It can, it can happen at any, you know, at the drop of a hat, that child can just be in a violent, volatile situation. They haven't even done wrong because maybe their, their mom or dad is an alcoholic or maybe they're abusive or whatever it may be, and it's just this terrible situation. And sometimes, guys, it's the choices and the sins of other people that put us in these terrible situations. Sometimes we can be living in complete obedience to the Lord. We can be walking in the will of God, and we can still end up in a terrible storm, in a terrible situation. And this is why. Because God called us not to live on an island. Just by default, we are people who are inextricably bound to other people. And sometimes the consequences of other people, the the ripple effect, if you will, of other people's terrible decisions, that collateral damage starts to take effect in our own life. When we're completely, we can be squarely in the will of God, walking in obedience to the Lord, and out of the blue we can get hit or caught in something like this, and it's not our fault. So what do you do in that situation? And I, I think that's important because, again, Maybe you brought your storm upon yourself, but maybe you didn't. What do you do about it in that situation? And I'm gonna, I, there's hope for you, and I want you to see this morning, there's, there's a message from God for you that there is a response. Whether you brought the storm upon yourself or maybe you didn't, either way, there is a, there is a biblical, there is a godly response in the midst of this storm. Number three, what I want to share with you is this. It is so easy to lose hope in the midst of the storm. Look at what it says down here in verse 20. I'll tell you what, back up verse 18. It says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. So now they're, they're at the point where they're like, okay, let's just get rid of anything that we can to hopefully save the ship. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands Look at what it says in verse 20. Neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. So they are in complete darkness. They don't even know if it's day or night. Think about how disoriented you are in that situation. And no small tempest lay upon us. That's one way of saying this was a massive storm, a massive wind. And look at what it says. All hope of our being saved was what? It was abandoned. They gave up hope. 
They gave up hope. Now, storms are by nature scary, they're dark, they're powerful, they're terrifying. And, and, and again, going back to kind of my introduction, they're so powerful, they're so overwhelming because a storm reminds us of how little control we really have, right? When you're faced with the forces of nature like hurricanes and tornadoes and massive thunderstorms and those kind of earthquakes and those life-shattering, life-shaking events, we realize real quickly we really don't have as much control as we thought we did. And that's what's happening right here is that they tried to do everything that they could do. They're tossing all their stuff overboard. And it said, finally, after being disoriented, they're overwhelmed, they're exhausted, they're being stranded out here. They don't know if it's day or night. And it said most of them had abandoned all hope of being saved. They had accepted the fact that they were just going to perish and die. Now, let me give you some examples some desperate and some hopeless situations that you may be in right now. And you're thinking right now, you came in here this morning thinking, I don't have any, I don't have any hope left. I'm just ready to give up. Okay? I'm going to use alliteration. Every word starts with D. You ready? Divorce. Maybe you're coming out of one. Maybe you're going through one. Maybe you don't know if you're about to get one. Maybe you're a kid and your parents are going through one and you're like, I don't have any more hope. Debt. You're drowning in debt. You don't see a way out. You don't know. You've, you've exhausted every other option. You don't know what else to do. You're in so much debt right now that you have too much month at the end of the money. You, it's just, you, 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 you just give up. Dysfunction. Maybe you live with a person who is just in utter dysfunction. Maybe they can control it. Maybe they can't control it. But that's your reality right now. And every time you're around that person and you have to be around that person, you just know that it's just going to be a completely dysfunctional situation. And you're just like, I give up. I don't have any more hope. Death. You lose a loved one. You lose somebody near and dear to you. You, you see somebody suffering and, and you lose them and, and, they, and they die. Maybe it's prematurely if you want to say it that way. But death can be a place where... You just don't have any more hope. There's disease where you're suffering with some type of a illness or some type of cancer or whatever it may be, disease. There's disasters, disasters, war-torn countries. There's all these natural disasters that take place. You have people being displaced from their homes. I mean, think about it. If you're, if you're in Syria right now with everything that's going on and there's just this war-torn country and you've got Turkey and Iran and all these different people, the Kurds, and they're all fighting and your homes and villages are just being destroyed. You don't have, you don't have anywhere to go. You don't, you don't have a home anymore more. It's easy to find yourself in a place without hope. Maybe you have battling with depression. Any of these things can get you in a place without hope. And I just want to say on the front end, I just don't see how people can live and survive without a relationship with God. I just, I just don't understand it. Like, life is hard enough as it is with the Lord, Right? I mean, even as believers, when we know who God is and we, we walk with the Lord, I mean, even in, as believers and we know who, everything that God has done for us, we still doubt. We, we still find ourselves in a place of despair sometimes. I mean, how can you do it? I don't understand it. And I think that we're starting to see more and more that people don't do it. Because I think suicide now is one of the leading causes of death in our culture. 
So you know what that tells me? That people are hopeless. They don't see a way out. And so they just say, I'm just going to end it all. I don't have any more hope. It's tragic. And we need to wake up to the reality there's people walking around us every single day and they're in your workplace, kids, they're in your school, they're in our neighborhoods and they may put up a facade and say everything's fine but deep down in their heart they don't have any more hope and they're one choice away from ending it all. But we have hope. And his name is Jesus. He is the anchor of our soul. The next thing I want to share with you is this. God will never waste a storm in your life. God will never waste a storm in your life. You know, if you just want to back all the way up to the, you know, this almost addresses the whole problem of evil. You know, if God is so good and he is all powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? I mean, you could just, you could just lay that philosophical Problem, one of the number one problems that most atheists or people who reject God, you know, that's going to be the first thing on their list. If God is so good and He is all powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? And you can back all the way up, honestly, from a biblical response and say, listen, God created us in his image. He placed us in a perfect environment. There was no death, disease, suffering, no uh, despair or hope. Everything was as it should be. Everything was good. Everything was perfect. And guess what? God did not do it. We did. And not only did our first parents choose to reject God and to disobey him, but ever since then, every single one of us have continued to do the very same thing because we too have sinned and chosen sin over God. And because of the choices that we have made as individuals, we have made as human beings in this world, that is what has brought so much sin and suffering and death and disease in this world. And God is the only one who has provided a way, a solution for restoration and hope that there may be a way for us to enjoy a time and a place with him when there will be no more tears or sorrow or sin or suffering or sickness or death. There will be that day coming and God is the only one who has provided that answer for us. But we have a creation right now that the Bible says is groaning. It's like the whole earth is in labor. That means it is having contractions. And the Bible says one of the signs of the end times of the last days is those contractions are going to start getting more intense and more what? More frequent, just like a, a woman going into labor. And, and all of it is leading up to the, the joy of the son who will come again. But until that time comes, guys, there's going to be natural disaster after natural disaster. There's going to be war and rumors of wars and all of these things because we live in a fallen world that is cursed by sin and we have natural disasters as a result of it. There's tsunamis and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and all of these things is because the earth itself is groaning But even though we still live in that reality, God will take it and still use it for our good. That's the kind of a God that we have. He will never waste a storm in your life or in my life. Now look at what Paul says in Acts 27, 21. I I can't help but read this. So they've been without food. Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. And not set sail from creed and incurred this injury and loss. Don't you love it? I mean, Paul, he just had to have his I told you so moment, right? He didn't have to say that, but you can just say, I mean, he's probably sitting back and they're all desperately throwing stuff over the board. And he's finally like, okay, Lord, you want me to go ahead and tell them? All right, I'll tell them. Hey, guys, you should have listened to me. I mean, you know he wanted to so bad and he did it. 
It makes me, makes me feel good because Paul was human just like me. He just couldn't resist, right? But Paul, and, and, and listen, and, and understand what's happening here. You've got pagans on this ship. You've got prisoners on this ship. You've got a lot of godless people on this ship. But listen, you have children of God on this ship. You've got Paul and Luke and some of the other disciples. They belong to the Lord. And because they belong to God, he is the creator. He is the almighty. He's the one who commands the winds and the waves, Right? We see that in Jesus who steals the waves and he steals the storms. And so our God is greater. Our God, there's nothing impossible for our God. Because the way that the world views the storms of life is this. Look, this is the way the world views it. We give up hope because no one cares. There's nobody even here with us. And listen, here's most importantly, there's nobody more powerful than the situation that I'm in to get me out of it. But when we come to God, we understand, no, that's not true because, yes, someone cares. His name is Jesus. Someone is with us in the midst of the storm. His name is Jesus. And someone is powerful enough to get us through it and out of it. His name is Jesus. So the Lord does provide answers in the midst of the storm, and he never wastes an opportunity to teach us something in the midst of the storm. Not only is he able to do something about the storms of life, but he's willing to help us in the midst of them. So he has promised to always be with us. He has promised never to leave or forsake us. God has given us this promise to every one of his children. It's called the Romans 828 promise. And I just want to take a second to to look at this promise because this is really really the, 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 the climax of what we're trying to learn here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 8 real quick because I just want to read this passage of Scripture to you. I, I just think... If you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, I want to read this passage, and wherever you are, because you may have come in here in the middle of a hopeless situation, I want you to hear this from the Word of God, and I want you to take comfort in knowing that God will never waste a storm, that He is going to use that if you will allow Him, okay, if you will allow Him to bring you to a deeper relationship with Him. Listen to what it says in Romans 8. I'm going to read verses 28 through 38. Listen to this. And we know that for those who love God and are all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The Lord is talking about how God has remained faithful in the past with all of the people of faith. He, he's, he's been faithful to bring their salvation to completion, which means he will also be faithful to bring our salvation to completion. That's, what, that's all he's saying right there. Look at what he says in verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Don't miss that. He's saying, listen, I already gave you everything. What more can I give you? I gave you my own life. So he's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. He's going to provide for us. That's the promise. Look at what it says in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, and he is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. Listen, Jesus is praying for you. That's what that means. Think about that for a second. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He says he is interceding for his people. 
Because we still have an accuser, right? His name is Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren. So he's constantly accusing us before the Father in heaven. And Jesus is saying, nope, he belongs to me. No, he, she belongs to me. No, that's not true. They're mine. Praying for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers, not height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. He's proven his love. He is faithful God. He is the one that no, nothing can separate us. Look, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. So he is working for the good of those who loved him. He's working for those who are called to his purposes, and he's working everything out to his own glory. So let me just give you a couple of things to think about from this perspective. Okay, first of all, he's working his purposes out in these storms of life. No matter what storm you're facing, God is working something out in it if we will allow him to. And these are some of the things he will teach us in the middle of the storm. Listen, there are things that you will learn about your relationship with God in a storm that you could never learn anywhere else. Think about that. Well, number one, we have to learn how to trust God. It's, it's not hard to trust God when you're on the mountaintop, Right? Things are good, everything's great. Now, you know, God, I love you, I'm glad you're there, but I don't really have to trust you right now. But when you're in the middle of a storm, all of a sudden, wait a minute, God, I didn't sign up for this. Where are you, God? Can I really trust you? That's something you can only learn in a storm. We learn how to depend upon God and not our own strength. Again, storms overwhelm us. They help us to be reminded that we're not that strong, that, that, that there are things outside of our control that are much more powerful than we are, and so we have to learn to depend on the one who is greater than our circumstance. He also teaches us how to turn to him in our time of need. Again, in times of distress and struggle and, and suffering, in times of storms, it should push us closer to God. It should draw us closer to God because we're in, we need Him. And it's okay to say, God, I need you. There are other greater purposes that God uses. Because for people who don't belong to Him, I want you to see something. I don't know what happened to the people on the ship. I don't know what happened to the centurion and the owner of the ship. I don't, we don't have a whole lot of details about what happened, but I do know one thing. Paul was a witness to the power of God. He, he, he shared testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they were saved, which they eventually were saved through all this, not one of them lost their life. You know those men had to stop for a minute and say, wait a minute, there might be something to this Jesus. Because they, had, they could have perished in that storm, and if they did not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they would have drowned physically, and they would have perished spiritually. 
So God can and will use you and me in the midst of storms to share the gospel with other people who may not know him because they're watching how we react and how we respond in the middle of the storm. And maybe their storms are opportunities for the lost because it shakes them to their core too. Listen, a funeral is a great place to share the gospel. I would rather preach a funeral any day than to do a wedding. I'm going to be honest with you. Now, I love weddings, but a funeral, you know those people are at a point, most of them, of complete loss. A lot of times they don't have have any hope. They don't have anywhere else to turn. And it gives us a chance and an opportunity to stand up and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why those opportunities need to be taken advantage of. And then here's the last one. In believer's life, sometimes... God's going to send us through a storm just to give us a good old butt whipping. Sometimes we need, a, we need a whipping. It's called his what? Discipline. And you know what the Bible says about God's discipline? It's painful at the time, and nobody likes it. But if you're not getting disciplined by the Lord, that means that you don't belong to him. Because I don't have a right to go around whipping your kids, even though I want to sometimes. But you better believe I have a right to whip my own. And if I did not love them, I would not discipline them. But the Bible says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so sometimes if we're, if we're going astray and we're walking that dangerous path or we're ignoring the warning signs, God says, okay, I'm going to go ahead and give you what you want. I'm going to go ahead and allow you to walk straight into this storm in order to discipline you because I want the outcome of your faith to be greater than what it is today. And it's going to be painful and I'm not even going to enjoy watching you go through it. But when you get out on the other side, you will have a harvest, a fruit of righteousness that you did not have before. Those are just some of the purposes. All right, two more real quick. How we respond in the midst of the storm ultimately reveals how much we love and we trust God. Listen to me. Storms will more than not reveal our character than build our character. Let me say that again. Sometimes say that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or whatever it may be or, you know, difficult situations build your character. I think more than anything, when you go through a difficult situation, it's going to reveal your character more than it necessarily builds your character because it's going to put you to the place where your faith is really going to be tested. And let me tell you something, guys. Obedience to God in the midst of the storm is basically saying, God, I love you, I trust you because I know who you are. I know who you are. I know who you have said to be. Listen, the questions that come up are, is, do we really trust God in this? Do we really believe his word and his promises in the midst of this? Do we really trust him? Do we really have faith in him? As the old hymn said, to trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's what we see here in Paul. Paul gets up, he tells the guys, hey guys, you need to eat some food because I'm telling you right now, if you'll just listen to me, none of you will die. We're going we're gonna to make it. And it revealed Paul's character in the midst of all of this, that he had a deeper relationship with the Lord and he trusted God because he knew that the Lord had promised to be faithful in this. And here's the last one. God is forever the anchor of our soul in the midst of every storm. Now look at what it says in verse 
39. When it was day, they did not recognize the land. So you remember, they're so disoriented. They, they really don't know, you know, day or night. They don't even know what day it is. It says they noticed a bay with a beach, and they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. Now look at what it says. So they cast off their anchors. Don't miss that. Here's what they're saying. We've got some anchors, and we can drop them right now, and maybe we can get the ship to, you know, to be anchored right here where we are, but we're going to cut our anchors because, listen, that's another approach. That's another attempt for us to solve this problem on ourselves. They said, no, here's what we're going to do from this point on. We're just going to hope and pray that our ship will run aground, will run up on the shore. Which is better, a couple of anchors in the sea or you're on solid ground? Pretty, pretty sensible, right? They understood that the land meant salvation. If they could just get to the shore, if they could just get to the ground, it meant that they all would be what? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's what they understood. That Jesus said, if you will build your house upon this rock, when the storms come and the waves come and the winds come, he says, your house will not fall. But if you build your house on anything else, it's sinking sand and your house will be destroyed and those with you will be what? will be destroyed. And Jesus said, what's the difference? It says, those who hear my words and do what? Obey them are the ones who build their house and their life upon the rock. Don't miss that. These guys obeyed Paul's word, which came, which was God's word through Paul. And they said, all we need to do is hit the ground. And they knew that the land meant salvation. Guys, wherever you are today, you may be tossed about right now. You don't know which up from down, left from right. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You're in a very difficult situation. Listen, there's only one person in this world who is an anchor for your soul in the midst of the worst situations and storms of your life, and he will keep you grounded. He will give you peace. He will provide his presence for you. He will take you through the storm and get you through the other side. He will teach you things about himself that you never knew before. He will prove his faithfulness to you. He will be the one to give you hope in a hopeless situation. He will be the one to show you that nothing can separate you from his love. His name is Jesus, and he is the anchor for your soul and for my soul. That's what this whole passage is all about that's what I want for you that's what I want for me because listen if you're not in a storm you're coming out of one or you're about to go into one that's just the way that it is and it's how we respond in that time in the midst of that storm is going to determine how we come out on the other side amen let's ask our praise team if they'll come on up I know there's a lot of hurt in this room. One thing we were talking about is uh, we were in our, our journey class this morning, our, the small group class and our Sunday school class, and we were just talking about the, the role and responsibility that we have as church members to hold each other accountable and, and to, to speak the truth in love to each other, you know, and that they're, you know, even with like church discipline in those really hard situations that, you know, when we see someone that we love and we care about, when we see them headed in that direction that's leading them into a storm, if we really love them, we should what? We should stop them, right? 
I mean, don't you, don't you agree to understand that's a biblical teaching and accountability in a church family that we have a relationship with people in our church family. When we see somebody else making lifestyle choices that are leading them into a very destructive situation, if we love them, we're going to intervene. We're going to do whatever we can to, to talk to them and, and hopefully stop them from heading in that direction. But listen, you want me to tell you why we, we don't do that so many times in the church? It's because we don't even know each other. We don't even know each other well enough to know when our brother or our sister is headed in that direction. There's not enough transparency. There's not enough vulnerability sometimes in the church. And I understand all the reasons why. I know why, you know, you don't want people to gossip about you or whatever. I mean, there's all these other excuses and reasons that we use why we're not vulnerable with each other. But listen, I want you as my church family that if you see something in me that is leading me astray or leading me into a potential storm or destructive situation, I'm hoping and I'm counting on you to come and stop me. That's what a relationship in a family is all about. And so as we go, I'm going to share this last application with you and I want you to to prayerfully ask God today, wherever you are, to help you, whatever your response may be, he wants to minister to your heart right now. Whether you're in the midst of a storm or heading into a storm, hold fast to Jesus Christ. He's the anchor of your soul. Listen, knowing that he is holding on to you and he is willing to work everything together for your good and for his glory. Don't, don't miss that. Listen, we hold fast to Jesus but we don't miss the point that he is also holding on to us. He says, I came to give you life and no one can snatch me out, snatch you out of my hand. Amen? Find comfort in that this morning. Father, we just pray that wherever we are today as individuals and as a church, God, we know that there may be difficult times ahead. The Bible clearly tells us that there are times coming that will grow more and more difficult, Lord. And I know you're trying to prepare your people, Lord. You're trying to prepare me in this church, Lord, to be ready to respond in the midst of whatever storms may come. Sometimes, God, we may be walking in your will and we end up in a storm because of somebody else's decisions or choices. Whatever it may be, God, we submit to you right now, the anchor of our soul, and ask you to please help us, Lord, to trust in you to exercise faith in you knowing that you will never leave or forsake your people and nothing can separate us from your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand together as we continue to worship? From the moment that I wake up 